Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you once again from our away-from-home home studio. We have been away from home since November. I'm beginning to think I don't remember what my home looks like. You know, I really think that 2020 is going to be a non-memory year. <laughs> In a few years, we're going to say... You don't what want to happened remember. in 2020? Nothing. Well, the, the the COVID was there, but we did absolutely nothing but kind of stay stationary. Tread water. <coughs> and now, dear listener, we're going to have an unsolicited advertisement. For what? Mm. I thought we only Does do that this sound? on New Year's Eve. No, this is well. This is not alcoholic. <laughs> Oh, our listeners will be so disappointed. Oh yeah, well, well, I've got and I've got ice, ice in there too. You know, I'm a bargain shopper, and I liked I I, I drink a, a reasonable amount of of soda, cola, sugar free, sugar free. As a matter of fact, down here in Florida, cola is very expensive it compared costs to Illinois. Two dollars a plus a li a two for two liter. liters. Is anyway. this a rant and rage? <laughs> Here I go again. <laughs> but uh, I've always tried to taste these waters that are flavored waters, and they're always really pretty ugly. I think bitter, and bitter, and, and very expensive. I just had, I just tried one today, and it was terrible. But I've been drinking one that is reasonably priced, has lots of tasty flavors, and is available at Walmart. I think it's maybe even their brand, and it's called Clear. And today I'm drinking strawberry cream. Mmm. Contains phenylalanine. All of them have a good flavor. And, and phenylketonurics. <laughs> we don't it's want a, to read it's the label. chemical For piece. God's sake, you never read the label. This has zero calories and zero everything else. But it's a nice to a thirst-quenching option for a soft drink. And it has, oh, it does say, this has... Sparkling water beverage with other natural, natural flavors. Natural chemicals. <laughs> natural flavors. <laughs> Come on. This is <laughs> but it's only uh, 57 cents a liter. Yeah, it's cheap. So it's very reasonably priced. And that you'll find at Walmart. It's called Clear. That's the brand name, and they make it in a wide variety of different flavors. An and unsolicited testimonial. We are not advertising. As you know, ladies and gentlemen, we do not accept any advertising. So this is an unsolicited plug for something that tastes good. So perhaps we should add that you are listening to podcast episode number 191. Oh, good. That is meant to be listened to in March of 2021 well, no. or whenever you get around to it. And if it's probably in years to come, the content will still be very relevant. Just like Click and Clack, the car show on NPR. You listen to Click and Clack. Where the last episode was made 20 years ago. They say, the guy says, I have a brand new 1995. (laughs) (laughs) It makes your head spin. Uh oh. Does anybody know what we're talking about? Uh, You guys know what Some people who listen to NPR know. 
click and clack. Yeah. But they have been on forever. Maybe our episodes will go on and long after we're long gone. after we're dead. <laughs> oh, the one brother, of course, is dead. Yeah, which is why they stop. That's making why they them. don't they, make any new ones. They are hilarious. Yeah, but they are. Well, I guess they'll be up on the website forever. We'll we'll leave it there as long as I pay the bill. Yeah, but I can't believe NPR is still airing them. Seems like well, I'm not sure that NPR is. Oh, is it on our satellite? Satellite, uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. So cheap, cheap, cheap. <laughs> Well, they're still funny, but it's just yeah. when people talk about things that Car are... Car problems that like, cars don't have anymore. Like because, a choke. <laughs> the choke pull-off. I don't even know what that is, but I know I hear about it all the time. But you know a lot about it. Clack. You know about a choke pull-off? <laughs> no, and, I and really don't. And de- what device is that on in your car? I can talk the talk, but I can't walk the walk. <laughs> is it the same with RVing? Sometimes. Oh, geez, she admits it, ladies and gentlemen. The the choke pull off is on the carburetor. What's a carburetor? <laughs> Does it possibly mix air and gas into a combustible mix which your cylinders can use to create combustion and energy for your wheels? Is that before or after you add the DEF? <laughs> oh no. Um long before okay. the DEF is Oh, don't get me started on anyway. We do have some topics to talk about today. We have been. We do. We, we just started off. With have, this has been an extremely busy month. Has it? <laughs> They're going to well, think we've been drinking. Well, okay, I'll drink. We're in silly mode. All right. <sighs> Certainly, the uh, recent weather reports from Texas and all the suffering that our <laughs> fellow Texans have um, endured over the last few weeks because of the horrible cold snap and their unpreparedness for the electricity failure and the frozen pipes, yada, 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 has turned us to those subjects once again, which are addressed more frequently by our viewers who have to deal with those problems. What can you do about it? What should you do to be prepared? Um, are all questions to think about. I guess it means that no matter where you are in the country, you better be ready for cold weather if it's winter. And as the climate seems to change, it gets more and more extreme, and you have to be ready for extremes of hot and cold. I do have to say that in all of our years coming down here to Florida, that we have never had snow or even... In this freeze, yeah, certainly. It's been below. Freezing. This is about as far north as you can be, and which is in the Orlando area, about as far north as you can be, and and have reliably unfrozen temperatures. I can remember camping at Christmas time in St. Petersburg area and we were not ready for frost and I had to take a credit card to clean off the windshield. <laughs> but that was memorable. Yes. And it was, of course was Texas. And even now here at the end of the month Texas is up to 80s and we've spent lots of summers and uh, winters in Texas and it's, and been, it's been very very pleasant. However, I do want to mention <clears throat> that the Gulf Coast of Texas, even in winter, is very cold because it it's so be. windy. Can because be. it's so windy. Yeah. That's not someplace you really want to be. I, I read all the posts about this, and there were people caught by surprise. Now, if you are caught in a sudden freeze that you were not expecting and you don't know what to do, uh, just a couple of suggestions. You always need to be ready to do this. Number one is, is that every RV has low-point drains. And that so if you are in danger of freezing and you can't you won't be able to use you shouldn't use the water, then go out and and take the plugs out of the low point drains and drain the water, open the valves in your 
and your sink and your tubs and everything in the in the RV and let the water drain out. I mean, it's better to have antifreeze, but if you don't have antifreeze, then this is a, a first step. The, this is if you're not planning on camping in your RV. Even if you are, if it's going to freeze... And you can't keep it warm enough because you're you inside? Can't, you, well, if you don't have electricity and you can't, even if you're yeah, in but it... but I have an engine. And people have propane You do, you and, do, but you have to have electricity. And when the batteries run out, they're mm-hmm, dead. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just saying, mm-hmm. if you're worried about your pipes freezing... And one guy I talked about said, I went out to the storage lot and I didn't know what to do. And here's what to do. So put the take the low-point drains. If you don't have antifreeze, then put salt water down your drains mm-hmm. because that'll keep Freezes them from freezing. Less it'll, well, it'll... At a colder temperature. At a colder temperature. That's why they put salt on the roads. Oh, well, that's why we put salt on the roads in the, in the north. In the north, yeah. <laughs> Down in Texas, they don't... <laughs> They don't bother because they don't generally need to, although they maybe should be starting to think about it a little more. Then run your furnace if you can because the furnace will keep the basement warm. No matter what kind of a rig you have? Like Some our, first, fur- yeah, our yeah. first trailer, did we have a heated basement in that one? Well, the furnace will just run heat throughout the whole place, and the heat should seep down. Ours, bit. of course, has many RVs have actual outlets for the heat in the basement, so that, yes, it does keep the the things from freezing. Now, that assumes that you have battery power. But What if you have, like, a little bee? Uh, it depends on where the tanks are and stuff. And where the but, lines are but, running. But running the furnace is the best option rather than running your heat pumps because... People seem to be confused <laughs> on what a heat pump is and what a furnace is. Almost all RVs have a furnace, and many RVs, if they have air conditioning, will have a heat pump. Which and is the, a reverse air conditioner. Which is a reverse air conditioning, which means that the heat comes out of the ceiling. When the heat is coming out of the ceiling, that means that you have your heat pumps on. And the heat coming out of the ceiling is not going to heat your basement. The storage bays and the water tanks in your on the frame of your RV. So you need to think about where the heat's coming from. Those of you who live south of Interstate 80 are probably familiar with heat pumps, but when we were new to all this, I'd never heard of a heat pump because where we're from in the Chicago area, you don't use them in your house because it gets below 40 degrees fairly often and they're not practical to have. This is a good point. Uh, Lots of people are not familiar with heat pumps if they live in the northern climates because they don't have the capability to use a heat pump. So there are two ways of getting heat out of your air conditioner. One is to reverse it. It's it's pumping heat one way or the other, either out of your RV or into it. Uh, The other way is to have heat strips, which are heating elements that are electric heating elements that heat the air coming in. So... You need to pay attention to what you have and what you're using. And, of course, you want to disconnect the hoses. (laughs) So many people said, well, I have (laughs) a heated hose, but I'm still not getting water. Well, that's because the spigot outside froze. If you have water pressure there, the spigot will freeze. Even if the water in the hose is uh, flowing, 
if the, the thing sticking out of the ground is frozen, then it's and mo- many campgrounds, of course, shut that off anyway, because that's they're they're and worried about their the pipes. World. Their pipes uh, will freeze also. So it's very critical that you take care of these items in an emergency. And salt is a great uh, way to lower the freezing temperature of water. Pour it in anything. Pour it down your in your tanks, in your freshwater tank, in your in your gray tank, in your black tank. Now, when we put salt on the roads, it eventually does a number on our cars, on the metal parts with rust. Will it hurt anything in your RV and the pipes? Or? No, I don't. not for the kind of time. I mean, you're going to thoroughly wash it out. I mean, it's like and, putting antifreeze or something. And in refresh it, it as but, soon as but you But what can. I'm saying is if you can't get the pink stuff, if yeah. you can't get the antifreeze yeah. or whatever you need to, to keep it from freezing, this is something that everybody has. Everybody has salt someplace, and even a little bit of salt will keep the traps from freezing freezing and any place else that has water pipes that have frozen are going to cause you big problems and they can be any place in the line i mean i would even put salt water through into my washing machine and things like that because you need you need it anyway so good luck but when i watched the news from texas i felt kind of smugly to myself that if i was living in an rv i would have a better chance of weathering it all than i would in a house is it because we think about those things more as campers? So many people, they didn't have electricity. Yeah, and they, that's really and so, number one. And their batteries died. And we can generate our own for a while. So this might be a good time to talk about one of the other topics that we have here. <laughs> this is an interesting idea, too. In an emergency, there's a gizmo, which I'm going to have the link to on our podcast webpage. And, of course... Every episode of our podcast, and this is number 191, we have a web page that goes along with it where it has the links and um, additional information about these topics. There is a device which you can so you can use your truck or car to generate clean 110 volt power with the car generator. This is a logical idea. You have most of a generator <laughs> in your car. You have the engine, and why can't you harness that engine? to make electricity for whatever you need it for, your car or your or your house or your RV. When I first started thinking about this, I thought, how can a little car make enough power for your house? But from what I read well, here, it's surprisingly robust and can run for a long time on a little bit of gas and could certainly tide you over. Well, your car certainly has enough power, but it's getting converting that into electricity. Mm-hmm. That's the issue here. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it has an alternator, but that only makes 12 volts. So this device, which is called the car generator, hooks up to your car through the battery connections, and it takes the 12 volt, and essentially it is a inverter, and it gives uh, 110 volt power, which you can use for your house. And it comes in a variety of different sizes. But the nice thing is, is that generally speaking, it is much less expensive than a complete generator that has the motor as well as the inverter generator with it. And it uses your car, which has a, a large gas tank, will run for a long time. And as they point out on the website, most cars at idle will actually use less power than a big generator. When we first moved into our stick-built house, we had a number of power failures, and many of our neighbors rushed out and got whole house generators and spent, I think, six, $7,000 oh, 
for these huge units that sit in their yard and are hardly ever used. And this is a nice Almost way to never. to tap into something just for an emergency, because that's when you would need it, is once in a great while. Yes, but I don't understand it's not going to run your air conditioning right. in the whole it's house. It's going to have limitations in terms of the power. But if you need to mm, maybe charge the batteries in your RV, or maybe you need to run your CPAP machine, or keep your refrigerator going. There was a man in Texas who died because he needed oxygen, and he couldn't keep his oxygen Yeah, exactly. And if he had this device, he could hook it up to his car, let the car idle, and they'd say that you'll get days of, of idling out of your car. So we need to think about some of these options as the weather climate changes and uh, and we come into situations that we're not used to. And certainly the Texans were not used to feet of snow and cold and lack of power and lack of uh, water. And they're still struggling. Well, now all their houses are damaged because their pipes broke. I know. I just can't imagine. Yeah. Here comes the, oh, good, the water's on. Oh, no. And you saw the people with their ceilings. coming out of there. And that means you have to rip. Oh. And just even to find where the pipe broke. What a nightmare. So even in your house, you need to drain the the pipes if it freezes or if it's about to freeze. (laughs) If you wait too long, it's going to be too bad. So that's uh, some some tips that RVers, I think RVers as a whole, were lucky more because sensitive more to sensitive that, to these things, and they certainly, hopefully, came through it okay. But there are a number of RVers on the message boards that had lots of questions about what to do in cold weather. <laughs> and, of course, we're used to cold weather. I have to, to winterize this RV many times, and we will continue to have to do so, but not this year. Unless we go home too early. And understand, the winterizing, it takes an hour and a half. But it's nerve-wracking for people who have never yeah, done know, it. And I it's know. very easy to forget all the little places you need to put the antifreeze, uh, as we have yes, learned yes, over the yes, years, yes, that, having to replace Yes, but fo- in an emergency, it's the big things that you need to take care that are of. Most important. You can replace the, the faucet, uh, the ice maker in the fridge, mm, the little sprayer by the yeah, toilet. Yeah, all those things. So you can you have some options here. And of course the other thing that people talked about is can I run my my furnace while I'm going down the road? Of course you can run your furnace while you're going down the road. Keep yourself warm. Nomad Lad, one of your favorite books. I don't know if it's my favorite book. I talked one of your favorites. I talked about it on this podcast maybe a year or more ago. Really? Yeah. You really poo pooed me when I talked about it. You didn't know what I was talking about. Okay. Um, oh, the, have I committed a sin? Well, kind of. <laughs> Not listening to your wife? Oh, no. The movie is based on the book, and as often as the case is quite different from the book, raises the topic once again about the sizable minority, invisible minority to many people in our country who are living in uh, campers and RVs and vans, maybe not because they choose to, but maybe because that's the only choice they have financially, economically. But the movie, as it's presented, also had some very positive aspects to it, I thought, um, as people who are in this kind of a lifestyle form communities and support each other and help each other, as we know that RVers often do. Frances McDormand, um, Academy Award-winning actress, is the main person in the film, but many of the actors, and I say that with air quotes, um, are (laughs) other RVers who they they met while they were preparing this film. 
home, and certainly those of you who have been to Quartzite will recognize the desert that they are camping in there, and the uh, yacht club at Quartzite, which we <laughs> yeah, even have. We a, are members of a yacht club. Membership the Quartzite the Yacht Club. Uh, so if you've ever spent any time out west on BLM land or boondocking, uh, this film will certainly ring some bells for you. And I like movies that, after you're done watching them, there are things to talk about in them, and I think Nomadland is definitely one of those. So Nomadland is available free or included with your Hulu subscription. Uh, it is a uh, Academy Award uh, caliber film, and it certainly will be uh, nominated for a couple of Academy Awards, and it would be in the movie theaters, but because of COVID, we don't get to go to the movies anymore. So, Well, now you can. <gasps> really? You just had shot number two. <laughs> Have I? And in one more week, you will be totally... But over it. How is my second shot going to change my life? Well, that's a good question because for me so far, it doesn't so much change your life and what you're doing because many of the things that involve crowds you still can't do. But I sure was second guessing myself a lot. You know, should I go to the dentist? Is it worth it? Should I get a haircut? Will uh-huh. I put myself uh-huh. in danger? I feel a lot more calm about doing those, those kinds of things now that I've had the two shots. And that even if you were to get COVID, uh, it probably would not put you in the hospital and certainly wouldn't be putting you on a ventilator. The numbers are coming down, of course, and we are very happy to see that. And I think we, like mentioned last month, we can see light at the end of the tunnel. But as far as our life goes, uh, we have not really done much different because we try to respect everybody and we wear our masks and we keep our distance and we do the things that we have been doing for the last year. It's become the new norm. As a matter of fact, well, we did go to a restaurant and actually ate. Ate inside. It, it felt was like 11 months <laughs> since we had done that. At least. This was... Oh, 11 months. This was uh, kind of an odd feeling, frankly. And being near people is somewhat disconcerting. Is wearing a mask going to become the normal? Am I going to think... Oh, I should wear a mask all the time. Well, a lot depends on how this virus keeps transmogrifying and whether the vaccine that we have already had yeah. will be good enough. They're already talking about boosters. Having and, a second shot. And that's discouraging. But on the other hand, the statistics all over the country, not just here in Geezerland and Florida, are encouraging. One thing we wonder as travelers is how they're going to handle this in the travel industry. The other thing that's big, of course, in Florida is cruising, and that still continues to take it on the chin uh, as nothing much seems to be opening up. The poor port of Canaveral right here is just devastated. And all the lead time that's involved in getting a cruise going again, it's just mind-boggling how that'll ever work. And it leaves me wondering whether this tattered little card they gave me (laughs) when I got Moderna shot number two is going to be my passport to travel when uh, they start be- asking for proof because I think they're gonna it's on planes. I would think. Yeah. And I think as people sports venues more, and yeah. and of course Israel has some sort of an app that you have on to their phone. on yeah. their phone that you show as you enter places. Right. And there and there are people who are worried about that for Big Brother reasons, but certainly the card that I currently possess would be very easy to counterfeit and make up like hotcakes to hand out to people which would be totally worthless so how they're going to handle all that is still to be determined but I definitely am sleeping better at night that's for sure 
And we, of course, we want you to listen to lots of podcasts. And the RV Navigator is your primary source for information for the RV lifestyle. But certainly not the only one available. Podcasts and, have really taken off this year. A oh, lot of performers, I think, who had nothing else to do. Who was it? That Barack like, Obama oh, and, make my own podcast. and Bruce Springsteen? Yeah. yeah. Jeez, have a podcast? Everybody Competing with podcast. us? Everybody Give me a, a break. <sighs> But if you want to actually learn stuff about our <laughs> don't come here. <laughs> oh, I was going to say oh. that there's a link that we're going to put on our page, which includes other um, camping and RVing podcasts. Yes. Some have interests that are somewhat different from our own. There's one on there for families who camp uh, maybe full-time in an RV. There's a lot of good information out there in that format, so I want you to look at the list after you're done listening to us, of course, <laughs> and and see what else you would like to learn about in the RVing and camping field. And of course, we are interested in our listeners, so we want you to have the best information. We don't track you. We don't take any advertising. We don't uh, sell anything. So... Uh, if you want to listen to us, fine. If you don't want to listen to us, fine. And we are happy to promote other podcasts because it really doesn't make any difference to us whether you want to listen to them also. We want you to go RVing and have as much fun as we do. We do love having our listeners, and I like to get emails from you guys. And, and one thing that's been bad this year is we've hardly met any new listeners. Well, there are some gee. current listeners who live in this park, some of whom came here after they heard us extol its virtues. We're so Selling lots once again. But we haven't met any new people, and that's been so fun in the other years. Yeah. We would well, we haven't people, gone any place where you could meet people. Yeah, who would tell us things about where they're from and give us ideas of new places to see. This has just been a bummer. Well, we do have our rental lot next door to us, and we've been going over and saying hello to all the new people there. That's about the best we can do, yeah, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, bottom line is, uh, w- with your podcasts, if you want to go to our website and take a look at this list of other podcasts, in actuality, there were at least ten or fifteen. Yeah, a lot. I would say there are a lot of RV nav- no RV podcasts. There's no other RV <laughs> navigator. Do you think some parks are going to require COVID vaccination before no. you can check it? No, no, no chance. No, they would no. eliminate kids right now. Yeah. And it's not necessary, I don't think. Why? Because when you are RVing and camping, you're not in close quarters with other people. Yeah, but so many parks have activities that people... I mean, even going into the laundry... They might require um, vaccination for that. Well, that's going to the... But not coming to the campground. Well, if you check in... No. State parks... No, not, I didn't no, say state parks. No. And remember, a lot of people in our country have strong feelings about whether they should be getting a vaccination or not. We don't agree with those people, but they live in uh, our yeah, country. Yeah, but, the, but and businesses right now will refuse your service if you don't have a... If you don't have a mask on. And, and other I would think businesses if are cheating and leaving the restaurants open, even though in their state they're not supposed to. It's Okay. We are not very consistent. I mean, that's why countries like Israel are doing so much better than we are, because they are all rowing in the same direction. And we have 4% of the world's population and 20% of the COVID deaths. And because we we're sh- rowing in all different directions at the same time. It's not well, working out so well for us. Okay. I think it's enough talking about COVID. I'll bet you next year at this time we will have forgotten about this. No, I'll never forget. We'll still be having masks. 2020. I mean, to me, a real benefit now that we've been through this, inevitably when we would take a long flight on a plane, I would get some kind of upper respiratory thing, either on the way there or on the way home. 
And it's very clear to me if I had just worn a mask while I was on the plane that that's much less likely to happen. I'd have far fewer colds. Um, I've learned a lesson that masks, although they're not very comfortable and certainly not a fashion statement, although some people seem to make them that, are worth having along in your travel kit. Okay. So I have been taking a photo workshop online. I've been using Zoom, and I got myself... Oh, this is very cool. got myself... (laughs) He looks like a turtle. This is a big green shell behind him. We'll put a picture on the web. I have a green screen so that I can impress my fellow workshop members with my picturesque background. He didn't want me to embarrass him wandering around in the background like some Without people's Without your clothes on. You know, when you crunch that ice, it is really loud. People don't want to listen to that. I'm finished with my drink, though. Put your ice away. You're on the air. I'm an ice cruncher. You are. It's amazing you have any teeth left. And I have all my teeth. Yes, you do. So I'm taking this workshop, uh, and it is an interesting one because the topic is iPhone or camera. Which do you use and when? And I was interested to see if I could use my iPhone more than I have been using it. Because the cameras in the in the phones are getting better dro- and better, and computational photography has really come ahead. What is that? The computer in your phone takes the raw image that the camera takes and enhances it with computer technology. So, in a low light situation, it will take three or four pictures and combine them into one higher quality picture. And this is one of the places where phones really shine, is taking low light pictures. And of course my phone has an ultra wide angle lens, which I really miss. So I've been seeing... You miss on your regular camera, because you're not carrying that anymore. Yeah. And so I haven't had it, uh, but I really like my camera. I mean, I like the idea of a camera. So it's interesting, in the in the, the people in the workshop, most of them are iPhone or phone shooters as opposed to camera shooters. And I thought it would be kind of the opposite for and people taking a workshop. when we travel, most people are using phones. Or and they're phones. using their iPads. <laughs> oh, that is so <laughs> hard to use for a camera. But well, but it's got a nice big viewfinder, I guess. You see what you're doing, yeah. Yeah. And it's been interesting to see uh, how people use their their phones and and how they use cameras and, and the workflow. Of, one of the problems I've had is combining the two sets of pictures together. Because in all honesty, I have tried very hard to use my phone more uh, to capture images. Uh, and the images are decent quality, but uh, there are some definite limitations with your phone. You know, one of the things that I really get used to is an articulated viewfinder. And with the phone, you don't have an articulated viewfinder, meaning that when you set it above your head, you can't see what you're taking a picture of. Or you you set it on the ground and you want to take some pictures of uh, dog poop or flowers or something, and you can't see what you're taking a picture of. Whereas if you have an articulated viewfinder on your camera, you can just tilt it so that you can see it. Anyway, there are lots of different things. Um, I'm going to put up a couple of links here to uh, topics with computational photography and uh, take a look at them and let me know what you think about what you use most and why. 
that's kind of the the bottom line here. To me, the real advantage of the phone is you're more likely to have it in your hand. Well, that's always the use. And just the other day, we went to a place about a block and a half away, and we were on our bikes, and we had it our was phones loaded with water birds. It was loaded, so I and mean, there were fifty birds there doing their thing. And in the end, I came back and got my camera because so I could get better pictures. Not the quality of the pictures, but the lenses and stuff are important. Uh, the quality of the pictures were from the the camera, the phone oh. are pretty good. And frankly, what do people do with most of their pictures? Put them on Facebook. Or, yeah, or your Instagram or, Instagram or, or whatever. The other issue is uh, with your phone, <laughs> deciding which camera you're going to use. Do you understand that? No, because I only have one. No, you don't. No, I only have one. What do you mean? We've been through this before. You have multiple lenses on your phone. No, 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 no. No, I didn't say lenses. I said cameras. She looks puzzled, ladies and gentlemen. What do you mean? Yeah, exactly. <gasps> cool orange bird out the window. No, never mind. It's in the in the uh, palm tree there, on this side of the palm tree. For many weeks we have been doing... Oh, there he goes. For many weeks we have been going to the Audubon Society bird walks on Saturday morning, learning all about the birds of Florida. Mm, have we had fun. And we've been using our cameras. There are, for your phone, a wide variety of camera apps. And each of those apps has different processing capabilities and has different ta- takes the, the camera and, and does different things with it, like manual focus or manual exposure control. Or it has uh, special effects like Instagram has. So that has to do with the camera app. As a matter of fact, you are using a different camera app. When I use Lightroom. That's right. Mm-hmm. So you are not using the built-in app, and that app works very differently than the iPhone app. Yes. Somewhat differently. No, very differently. You want to take a look at the various apps that you have available for your camera so that you can decide which one is best for you. A lot of people use Halide. Uh, other use pool, Camera Pro. So take a look at these apps and decide which one is working for you if you use your phone a lot for taking uh, photographs. So I will leave it there because I'm sure that eyes are glazing over right now. Well, is this an RV podcast or a camera <laughs> podcast? A little of both. It's, we like to it's have... for people who share our vices. Yes. Internet in your RV is, an, is a big topic these days, and a lot of people want to work from their RV, and they want to have Internet. Uh, I want to mention that... Some people just automatically assume that they can get satellite internet in their RV. I see post upon post of this. Well, if I don't like cellular and I don't like the Wi-Fi that's available in the campground, I'll just use satellite. Eh, ain't going to happen in the near future, ladies and gentlemen. However, of course, Starlink is in the process of uh, beta, but Starlink is not really viable. They're thinking of the HughesNet, which we had for a long time, and it's just not viable for RVs anymore. So you're stuck with pretty much with cellular, but not stuck because the cellular internet is actually pretty good depending on where you are and we have in many situations we've streamed we've had uh, very good success with with the cell phone um data plans and we have at&t verizon and then our phones but one of the things that has happened recently is is that people talk about boosters and a booster has a problem because basically it's it's not technically enough sophisticated to boost data signals. 
because you need what's called a MIMO antenna. So it's mostly there for conversation boosting? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, and I'm sure they will in the future, but right now it's just not viable. The best way to boost your antenna signal, as we found out when we went to the Everglades, I was going to talk about this last month, but somehow it got left off the agenda. We have our portable antenna. And this is a $30 device that you hook up to your hotspot. And you have to have a hotspot that will accept an antenna, which many of them do. No phones accept external antennas. And so you take this antenna. It is uh, directional in that it's 180 degrees uh, coverage. You can suction cup it to the windshield of your RV or your car, and it, it actually boosts the signal dramatically. Of course, you can mount it on the roof, too, but that's kind of a pain in the neck. So for $30, your best bet for increasing your cell phone signal, if you have a hotspot, is to get an antenna. And antennas come in $300 versions, which you can mount on your roof that are very directional, and then they come in the $30 one that you just use when you need it. So if I'm Googling for this, I say signal boosting cell? No, cell phone data antenna. But it does not work with your phone or iPad or anything like that. And I still can't stream a movie with it? We did. We were in the Everglades, and our our phone coverage was very poor. Your your phone has a very small antenna. This is a big antenna, and you can mount it and aim it at the tower. And we got very good service, I thought. Didn't you? Mm-hmm. I mean, we were able in the middle of nowhere. So we had our satellite TV, which is not satellite Internet. That's a very different system because the satellite Internet requires two-way service. You have to broadcast to the satellite and receive from the satellite. Whereas the satellite TV, not to be confused with Internet, is one-way only. The satellite broadcasts to you, and it has a lot more power than you can send to it, send up to the satellite. So that's very viable. And I think people get confused when they talk about satellite because they think, oh, well, if I have a satellite dish, then all I need to have is a service. And I will have, um, if I have a satellite TV dish, then I will just need service and I can get internet too. And a lot of DirecTV type companies and AT&Ts talk about a package with satellite TV and then internet, but that's wired internet in your house. Is that clear? I think so. What's SpaceX doing? They're putting a gazillion satellites all over the globe. A gazillion? With the idea that everybody on the globe can log on to the Internet. That's really a pretty good description. They're putting up uh, a constellation of satellites. And we here in central Florida get to watch them launch at 60 a pop. And they have had three, four launches since the beginning of the year. It's happening all the time. We're getting blasé about all the launches that right. are going off here. Um, but I put a couple links up here that you need to be aware of uh, because this, uh, I would say in the next couple of years, you're going to actually have the potential to have satellite internet. But however, right now, it is not portable. Boo. Boo. SpaceX is now allowing almost anyone to make a $99 refundable uh, pre-order deposit on Starlink with satellite broadcasting services in many areas in the southern United States now, actually any place north of Florida. 
now promised to be coming in mid-2021. Starlink has accepted another wave of beta testers, with customers as far south as Colorado, Missouri, Virginia getting invitations to place orders. Keep in mind that Starlink is still not supporting mobility, and there is no guarantee that the first-generation hardware will ever allow for connectivity away from your fixed location registered service address. So that's in some ways heartening, but in other ways it's kind of sad. But I fully anticipate that they will have portable service in the not-too-distant future. So that will be something that people will say, satellite, Internet, yep, I can get it. Is this a technology limitation right now? What? That they can't pass you from one satellite to another like you can uh, with cell towers? She asked me a question which stumps me. Uh, no. You can just say I don't know. No, I do know. And right now, you're making kind of a, a it's false not, assumption. It's not a correct analogy? Is that- well, you are being passed from satellite to satellite. because the, Because this is called near-Earth satellites, which means the satellites are continuously passing overhead and then you're passed off to the next one and that's and that's one of the problems why they have to have so many is you in order to have the service you have to have like a cell phone towers when you drive down the road you're passed off from one cell tower to the next and the same thing here with the satellites they have a certain footprint and as one satellite fades off into the horizon the next one better be coming over the other horizon so that you can have continuous service otherwise it would take 90 minutes for the satellite to come around again so they have to have a circle of satellites every whatever distance for every revolution of the earth yeah so right now what space link has set up apparently are cells which are circles on the earth (laughs) which they're saying we're going to provide them with service those cells and they're like 25 miles across and the people who live in that area can now get service and it is stationary within that cell. You can move around within that cell, but you can't go outside that cell. And that's that not cell. going to be helpful to cruise ships or other ships at sea because they're not going to stay within one cell either. The other thing that they're doing is they're having communication between the satellites, laser communication between the satellites. Well, why can't we do that? Who? RVers. <laughs> Shoot us a laser to my friend. <laughs> No, the the problem is you have to have earth stations. You have to have somebody to communicate with. You just can't communicate with the satellite. The satellite, while it's moving, has to also be communicating with an earth station that but is I'm also in the middle of the Pacific. That's the problem. That's what <laughs> that's I'm the saying. problem of getting out into distant areas. Is is that there's no earth stations. So they are developing a system which is not operational in the least bit yet. They are developing a system where the satellites will be able to intercommunicate and share earth stations that will be at some distance but for the time being this will not work at sea because there's no there's no earth stations to pass to pass it along to i mean you might be able you know there'll be an earth station in hawaii so if you're within 25 miles of hawaii you probably get service but that's about it perhaps we should talk about all the plans we've spoken to you about in previous months that are not going to happen One of them being the exciting idea of putting lithium batteries in our motor. Here I go again. Well, you can make it succinct, can't you? I've decided not to do lithium batteries. Not because of the price. Well, that's in there. No. 
Well, it's not the least bit. That's the. I was going to while we were here this winter. I was going to put lithium batteries in this puppy, but there are just too many factors with an older RV that I just can't control. So, lithium batteries need a special charger, and then I say. Well, you say to the people who might do the installation, well, how am I going to charge my engine batteries? Because I have two engine batteries that need to be charged, too. And, of course, the alternator will take care of that. But then how do I charge the lithium batteries from the alternator? Because they require two different charging systems and rates and things like that. So they really have not had a good answer for that. Well, what do they do with coaches that are built with lithium from the get-go. They have, there, are, there are systems, but this adds to the price again. So it know. is the price. No. Yeah. I would do that in a minute. We wouldn't just need the battery. No, we that's when I, talked to him, when I talked to him about the BIM. This was... We he, need all this other stuff had, to make it work. And I don't... Well, and then... Are, is my alternator big enough to charge the batteries? I have to have some sort of limiting system because the lithium batteries take an unlimited amount of charge and you burn up your alternator. Oh, good. That's just what I need. It's complicated. It's complicated. And then we come to, to the issue of cold weather. And we are cold weather. We don't camp in the cold weather, but our RV sits. We occasionally for, find ourselves there. <laughs> well, and we sit. it sits for long periods of time in cold weather. And lithium batteries don't really like cold weather, although I know there are some issues with this that, that it's not that bad. But th- this would be for an extended period of time. And lithium batteries, one of the things I, that really made my decision final, the lithium batteries have to be stored or are best stored at 50% charge. How do you determine that? Yeah, well, you have to discharge them. <laughs> so, so, how do you determine? Well, and for, if you're going to store for a long time, what do you do if you can't charge them up because it's really cold? You can't charge them up when you need to have the batteries. So, people who store their rigs in a heated facility, and there are some, could handle that part of the problem more easily than we could. And you can overcome these things if it's built in as a package when it comes to you from the factory. But for me, there there are just too many variables that I didn't, could not control: um, the charger, the discharging, the inverter. I just uh, I just couldn't come up with a solution that I felt comfortable doing. And we don't boondock that much. You know, I figure... And when we do, we have a generator. Really? <laughs> so? Yeah. So I think lithium batteries have a definite advantage. They are uh, the wave of the future. And if your coach comes built in with them... But the thing I really want to talk about is it's not just a drop-in solution. You don't just it's not order, f- order the $450 battery that is exactly the same size from Amazon and drop it in your compartment and say, hook up the wires and say, oh, I'm done. Go. Because you will ruin those batteries in, in no time at all, especially if you camp like we do. If you If you are away from your rig for a long time, how do you discharge it? to 50% so that the batteries will maintain their usefulness. Well, that's a problem. And, of course, our battery compartment is uh, exposed to the elements as all uh, lead-acid battery compartments have to be open to the to the air So because they off-gas. If you put your lithium batteries there, then they're going to be exposed to cold weather anytime it's cold outside, regardless of the temperature inside your RV. So that project was canceled. Canceled. And our other project has been um, oh, people were waiting. modified. 
we, we got as far as buying the xylene and buying the heat gun and buying this. And we remembered that Ken's dad uh, was was ultimately, he met his demise because he worked with a lot of toxic chemicals. And all of a sudden we thought, we've already worked with this toxic chemical once. Do we need to do this to ourselves again? We're not getting any younger. Um, our old coach had a very flat front, so the the diamond shield came off in flat sheets. But on this coach, it's curved around the lights of the windows, and that looked problematic as well. And you found somebody named... Ugly Shield. Ugly Shield. Down here in Florida, they are on the other coast, not on our side of the peninsula, but that's just a nice field trip. We're going to go over there where they work out of a campground. They no longer have um, a facility because they didn't need to do that. They're working on campers, and it's probably good for them to be outside in the fresh air while they're working with all the toxic chemicals. They told us they have done 3,000 of these coaches, and they can get us done in a day. In a day. We were anticipating it would take us two weeks of kind of on and off, but every, working on it every day as it did on, on our last coach. The chemicals are harsh. I bought fabulous nitrate gloves, and I'm all ready to go. But I was not looking forward to doing no, the diamond no, shield. But i got to say, I'm sorry... I'm sorry, listeners, to disappoint to you. disappoint you that we you're not going to have to hear us bitching about this project. <laughs> we anticipated having it done by this month, and I've had the most mail from about people that? about that. It's it's saying, such a big saying, I'm glad you're doing it first because I uh, want to have to. I want to do it, and so I'm going to wait to hear how you did it. So we're not going to do it. But we wimped out. You have to get xylene, and then if anybody would like uh, a packet of um, of a hundred of a hundred gloves and plastic and, scrapers and, and pl- plastic scrapers, we're not going to mail the xylene. We'll mail the xylene. <laughs> we'll, we'll give it to you um, because we're just not going to be using it. I did. I was able to send the heat gun back to Amazon. We were. I'm disappointing lots of people. You are. I know because we are kind of project oriented. But I'm sorry. We just have to do this. Um, and to have it done in a day, and they guarantee the paint will be perfect. By and, someone who knows what they're doing. But, you know, the last time we did this, we just watched YouTube videos, and we started doing it. And it and, turned out fine. And it turned out fine. The, the front end was was fine. The guy who bought our RV never even knew that it had... Had had it. But I was reading a post. Somebody had said, I'm taking off... The competitor to Diamond Shield. I forget the name of it. Oh, should I put on Diamond Shield when I'm done? <laughs> I just laughed. So did a lot of other people, as I recall. I would never put Diamond Shield on any vehicle. It's a $1,200 option, and it's a $1,200 payment to get it taken off. So now, now, we do have friends who are camped here in a much newer new well, yes. that have better Diamond Shield, different Diamond uh, Shield. I don't know. It's much shinier than ours ever was. It's much shinier, but you know that in four or five years, they're going to have mold well, and crap all over, and it's going to look bad. I mean, ours... Ours has looked good until recently when we've got uh, rusty colored stuff underneath underneath it. I mean, it's it's growing or something underneath it. That's why we're taking it off because it's it's uh, unsightly, and we know the paint underneath it is in good shape. So sorry to disappoint. Yeah, I would like to do it, and it, no, sounded, it sounded like a really a fun project. <laughs> a real bonding but, so, experience. So now I'm I'm driving six hundred miles and spending twelve hundred dollars. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I'm paying for a campground for two nights at a hundred bucks a pop. Because you didn't buy the batteries. All right, I can. Yes, I didn't buy you the batteries. Justify it. So, I, we've kind of wimped out on two things here. Yes, we, we have. Jeez, this is really bad news. We shouldn't tell people about our plans. <laughs> they are completed. Oh, they're gonna they're gonna be uh, angry with us. Send us an email. We'll be glad to give you the tips and tricks that we'll we know. We'll talk about it next month and let you know how it went. Yeah, we're having it done on uh, in mid March, so that'll be good. Another COVID project that will be under... We're getting a lot of things taken care of. Oh, yeah, people are doing home improvement while they're stuck at home, too. Yeah, that's what everybody has said. Yeah. So we do want to plan some RV trips, and we have done it. We are casual planners. Well, that's because we've been at this so long, and we kind of know know a lot of things that when you're a newbie, you should... Um, research before you go and do it we've been all over the country many times we know how long it takes us to get from here to there we know how many hours a day we want to be on the road so many of those questions can be answered pretty efficiently just out of our own heads and our own memories and our experiences but for those of you who haven't done a lot of this and i think planning is especially important if you're still a working person and you have a limited time window uh, for doing a trip because for us it's like well we didn't get that far today we'll just do it tomorrow and when you have to get yeah, back to yeah. work um, especially in an office or somewhere that isn't just on the road you have deadlines and you need to meet them and yes. so you have to plan for that there are lots of tools that will help you with this and many of them have been consolidated into what's called the RV trip wizard and this is a website that uh, is a subscription website, but they actually have quite a lot of tools that help you plan your trips. As Martha said, we, we are flexible, and we only make reservations when there are reasons to make reservations, like the a Balloon holiday. Festival or holidays or times when it's really busy. Otherwise, we try to travel in off-season, and people talk about the Florida State Parks, for instance, as being an impossible thing to get a reservation at. But this winter, we have gone to four different, we will have by the time we leave, We will. I have reservations right now, uh, we have gone, we will have gone to four different state parks in Florida, and I haven't made reservations more than a month in advance. In fact, for I, any think, of them. I think you profited from people who have canceled the reservations that they Maybe, made I don't know. long ago. I don't know why, but even for this Diamond Shield thing, we are staying in a private campground for the <laughs> removal of the Diamond Shield. But we got uh, a couple, three nights at a state park in Fort Myers, Florida for just before the uh, we're, we're doing that. So we're taking advantage of that. You know, I just looked online, and the Florida State Parks have, have a great website that you can see availability for months and weeks in advance. And so if you're flexible, you can find times to go to these places, and I think that's true of most parks. And this park you even got on the weekend, which really surprised me. And we, talked to, the people, usually... and we talked to people who are <laughs> camping next to us because the site is a rental site, and... They have nobody there has booked more than two weeks in advance. So and this is, I mean, this is high season in in central Florida. So it is possible to travel. And kind maybe of, the Canadians not being here is a factor. It might be we just this year, but I have well. a feeling of, if you do want to plan, uh, then you want to take a look at the RV Wizard, and we have a very nice link that takes you step by step through how to plan a trip. All the things to think about. Like on your route, you don't just plan which is the shortest route. You plan, will it accommodate my rig? Is yes. my rig too tall? 
Uh, is it, are the climbs too steep? Is the road too curvy? Put, you put stuff in so that it will tell you whether that's a safe route for you. You need to plan the fuel stops. I always think back to that road we were on in Nevada where the well, was it 150 miles between gas stations, uh, which could be a cruel shock. If I you, just if I you just saw somebody who this. said uh, I saw that Route 50, which is the loneliest highway in Nevada, Nevada is a high, the loneliest highway in the United States states but it is in nevada and they said uh i see that it has some elevation changes and it does but they're very gradual slope and you just kind of go up and over the plateau imperceptible while you're driving yeah it's amazing you to to go up to seven thousand feet when you don't even know it anyway the real key there is is that it's 187 miles between gasoline stations and you better be ready for that of course for us, with a 1,200-mile range, it's not much of an issue. But Mr. Ladida. Well, that's true of most motorhomes. Yeah. And, of course, this app also has all the campgrounds in the universe listed and a variety of different search criteria that you might want to use. And it also takes the trip and puts it into your GPS. At the end, when, because when you're done planning. Yes. A GPS is, is an essential tool to have. I have the Ram McNally, and we run the Ram McNally and the Garmin. I have the Ram McNally in front of me. I really like the Ram McNally. Uh, it is definitely RV-oriented. It has all of the features that you would expect, you know, to let you put in the size of your rig and how long it is and how much it weighs and how much propane you have and all that stuff. But it also has a second page which has uh, trip uh, calculators. It has uh, how far you are into your trip, how many miles you've traveled today. It has the altitude. It has all sorts of other second screen full of data and features which uh, are fun to look at. And so I like that uh, and I don't think the Garmin has that. So my recommendation to use you don't think the RV Garmin. Wizard has that? No, the Garmin has that. Okay. And using your phone Big is your only as GPS. Big mistake. Right. I, I run my phone as well, but it's certainly not and what you, I rely on. And you use Waze on occasion. But I'm very leery to do that with the motorhome because Waze tends to, tends to send you into little neighborhoods and cul-de-sacs that, that are not appropriate for us. The other thing that you want to take a look at is Google Earth all the time. When you're coming into a campground it's or even into a gas station, a fuel stop, uh, how level are the campsites? This can be done by dragging your cursor over the length of the campsite. Will you have a private patio or, or a f- uh, face your neighbor's RV or share the patio? All sorts of things that you can determine, and I have a list of them here, applications that you can find out from Google Earth. Google Earth gives you information that you can't get from a GPS because it shows you a picture. You know, what, what does the road look like? When we were at the Harvest Host uh, last month, we had to drive down a fairly long driveway, which I would have been a little afraid of doing with our rig and the toad attached and everything because I, well, I don't like driving down long gravel roads without knowing what's at the end. But because I had looked at it on Google Earth in advance, I, I knew. And I knew not to turn into the first driveway. You turn into the second driveway because that's where the parking lot is. Which is often a problem with a GPS. You can see that you're at the campground, but yes. exactly how do you get into it? Yes, and which road you take and, and that sort of stuff. So you looking at stuff in advance on Google Earth, this just seems pretty obvious to me. But I have a nice link here that uh, will take you to some suggestions on 
how to use Google Earth in, in novel ways that uh, I didn't even think about. Uh, free public lands and resources is another a great way to plan. Uh, and this is uh, a website that I'm going to put up here. I don't uh, really use it, but we use uh, Harvest Host and Boondockers Welcome. It's two places where we camp where there's no power or no hookups. I think there just are more public lands west of the Mississippi. That's probably there are a lot of people who post about you know where can I camp in in, for free in Maine Uh and it just and in 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 Florida less traveled places and of course you can stay at Harvest Hosts uh, a night or you can stay at Boondockers Welcome for sometimes three or four nights but that's not going to get you for the whole winter. Well, I'm about talked out. Really. It's such a nice day outside. It's 75 degrees, and we should be outside enjoying the good weather. And besides that, I have ice. Ice to crunch. (laughs) I tried to spare you, listeners, from that incessant noise. (laughs) So, next month, we are on the road. On our way home? No. Oh. Well, in March... We are on our road to Diamond Shield. Oh, yeah. And then at the end of the month, we'll be making the podcast from Jupiter Beach. down Because oh. we'll be there on April 1st. Oh, yeah. That's right. So we have two trips planned, and both of them in state parks. So it is possible to get into Florida state parks uh, in the winter at the prime season. You just have to plan ahead. And that's what we've done. So we will be there. And I didn't choose, I wouldn't choose actually the first of the month because I don't want to mess up the podcast, but that's when they had availability. So that's when we're going to be there. We're spending four nights, which is nice. It's uh, possible to do these things even during the busy time when it is high season in Florida. If you can be flexible. We do the hub and spoke thing here in Florida. We've often talked about one of our modes of travel is to do hub and spoke, where you go and you sit for a while and you do trips from there. With your car. But this is the first time I've really thought about it as being hub and spoke from here in Titusville, where we go out for days at a time. Usually it's it's uh, day trips with our toad. But now we're here in Florida. We said, well, I don't want to just let the RV sit for the whole winter. So let's do some little short trips throughout the rest of Florida. And this is certainly an option. You come down to Florida for the winter. You spend uh, most of your time at one particular campsite, campground, and then you do little trips from there. She doesn't like that idea. No, I think we're lucky that we have a place to keep coming back to. Well, you could if it you if you if you reserve early enough, you can find even here. You could find to double pay for two campgrounds while you're in. Florida. And I'm surprised that uh, our, our renters so that kind of seem like a novel idea to them. When we talked to them about that, uh-huh. they were here for three months, and they sounded like they hadn't considered really going other places. Going other places. Well, because they're already playing, paying for the site here. To us, it's immaterial. But state parks we, are cheap, so because we own this site, so but it's still costing us. It's costing us yeah. the rental. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. costing us a fair amount to stay here, but we just think that going out and doing some other things, seeing some other we're scenery, craving some new scenery. <sighs> It'll get better. It'll get better. So, dear listener, we love to hear from you. So please send us an email. Uh, keep in touch. And we will see you next month. Uh, and maybe in a campground near us if you're camping in a state park in Florida. That'd be cool to meet somebody again. It would be very nice. We're very isolated. All right. Happy travels. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Bye now. Bye.